0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.
1: Today's reading comes from Matthew 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revel you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection.
0: Gracious God, in this moment of silence and reflection, we become more aware of the voices that are shouting at us throughout the week. External voices that shout to us to achieve more, be more, strive harder, do more, fake it till you make it. Look good at all costs, and if you can't look good, at least don't look bad. There's that voice of the inner critic that comes from within that says, you're a failure. They're all going to laugh at you. If they knew how little you had it together, they would run. We come to this very moment of scattered people, an anxious people, a scared people. We come to this moment, a competent people, enthusiastic, joyful, hopeful. We come to this moment connected and alive and lonely. fractured. But however we find ourselves right now, help us to see we have far more in common than we realize. Each of us is created in your divine image, bearing your dignity, your honor, your glory, beautiful. And each of us is fractured, coming undone, easily wandering, easily lost. And your response to the beauty and brokenness of this world is not to say yuck or to run away, but rather to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so now we ask that you'd give us ears to hear by the power of your Holy Spirit, the truest voice of them all, the voice of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying in agreement to each of us, you are. Are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. May that be the governor. May that be the guiding star. And then would you send us out to be your hands and feet of renewal wherever we go? Teach us now in a way that our lives would be transformed and this world would be renewed. We pray in your name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, we're starting this series on the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes come from a larger section of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is giving what's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's what many people would say is his most influential teaching. It's the way that you live in light of the good news of God rescuing you. There's a great book that came out a few years ago by astronaut Chris Hatfield, Canadian astronaut, he actually set the record for the most days in space. He lived 166 days in space, lived at the space station, commanded it, all of that good stuff. Wrote a great book called The Astronaut's Guide to Living on Earth. And in the very beginning section, before he gets into technical science and physics and math and you know stories of zooming around the solar system in a spaceship, he starts with what it's like to go through difficult times in life and he likens it to flying a test aircraft and he says when you're in an aircraft there's altitude, which is how high above sea level you are, but then there's attitude, which is the technical term for the orientation of the plane, is its nose up in in an upward attitude or downward in a downward attitude, and he says in life your altitude will change. There will be highs and there will be lows. Sometimes you cannot impact that or change it, but you can make a decision to impact your attitude, how you approach the difficulties and the joys of this life, which is really a critical question. We've gone through this for the last two years with COVID shutdown and with the economy and with polarizing politics and with so many things. I think it's more than ever, it's crystallized the question, which is how do you go through this life that is marked by difficulty, strife, opposition, uncertainty, how do you go through this life without either just being apathetic and giving up, or letting it just run you over, this is just the way it is, you get into the fetal position, and you don't come out of it, or just numbing yourself with entertainment or whatever your favorite addiction is or whatever, how do you go through this life with all its difficulty and be more resilient, more connected, more alive? Is that even possible? And Jesus says, not only is it possible, but it's not a list of demands or commands. The way you do it is through relationship with me, Jesus says. Well, how do you do that? He says, follow me. Well, what does that look like? He says, let me describe it to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, that's the first one we'll look at today. Now, I want to be very clear here. These Beatitudes, and and if you saw the title of the sermon, it's B-Attitudes, like I'm sorry, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. There was a little bit of cheesiness to the title. But they are certain attitudes that you go through life with. These are not prescriptions, okay? He does not say, blessed are the poor in spirit, and so now we go, okay, neat. I need to go and make, I need to try to be poor in spirit. Or later, blessed are those who mourn. I need to go find something really sad to focus on so I can be blessed, right? These are not prescriptions. These are descriptions. Even when you find yourself poor in spirit, when the world tells you that God's forgotten you, you are still blessed in the presence of the one who knows you. See the difference? Okay, so let's look at this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. One of the reasons I love this one is because as I think about Renew Church, when I describe the way that we're growing, especially in our first several years, I say, you know, the more we grow in numbers of people, the more we're growing in need in many ways. We're growing among Folks that have financial needs, folks that have emotional needs, folks that have spiritual needs and lots of questions and are investigating Christianity. So the more of us that are together, the more need we have. and I love that. I love that because we, what happens then is that's what it looks like when a church is real with each other and we're not just pretending and dressing things up like things are much better than they actually are. And that's where Jesus promises to meet you. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Richard Rohr, the, uh, theologian in the Catholic Church, says you know, the Beatitudes are a sort of fuel for life. He says, you can power a car on cheap gas, but eventually it'll destroy the engine, right? And so he says, as you're fueling the car, if you're fueling the vehicle of life, try on this fuel that Jesus gives you. So let's just break it down. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's just ask, what is the kingdom of heaven? Why do you need it? And how do you get it? Okay? What is, those are fair questions, right? By the way, I'm not going to completely answer any of those questions. Actually, maybe the last one will. What is the kingdom of heaven? See, some people say, I, I, the, re, the thing I can't stand about religion, organized religion, the church, the pastor, the preacher, they're always talking about heaven, right? It's all kind of lay away, better days in the future, as some sort of behavior modification for the present. Kingdom of heaven is something in the future. And the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus in the gospel of Matthew, is nothing less than being reunited with God, having the brokenness of your life forgiven and healed, and having life eternal. It is nothing less than that, but it's a whole lot more than that. See, the invitation to follow Jesus does not make you so heavenly-minded that you become... No earthly good. (laughs) The invitation to follow Jesus is one in which he promises life to the fullest, not just after you pass, but now, right? Every Sunday when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of heaven, what we know is, it is something about the realm of God with all of God's renewal. And it's something that starts and takes place right now with your physical body, with the spirit that is in you, with the breath that you breathe, the heart beating in your chest, the thoughts in your mind, the career that you have, the relationships that you're in, it infiltrates and affects all of that. In fact, when Jesus uh, in elsewhere says, uh, I came that you may have life and life to the fullest, most of the New Testament is written in Greek, and Greek has two different words that could be translated as life. One of them is bios, biology. It's a, it's a characteristic of life that means you have the necessary ingredients to be alive. So you have a pulse, you have you know brainwaves and all of that. That is not what Jesus says he came for you to have. There's a second life, the word zoe, which is from which we get zoology, which is like a buzzing, humming, vibrant existence, right? It's like when we took Joshua to that concert on Tuesday night, and we're in the middle of Imagine Dragons, and he's on my shoulders, and he goes, this is living, (laughs) right? He doesn't mean bios, like at this very moment, my heart started beating. He means I'm enjoying a quality of life that is humming and alive and vibrant and connected, transcendent even. Jesus says, I designed you for that. And that's the tragedy is that any sort of those moments, those transcendent moments that you have and I have, we experience, they fade. They're just echoes of a voice. They're merely suggesters that we were created for something bigger. At some point, the concert ends. You can be enamored by the sunset. We talk about this. You go down to sunset cliffs, the sun sets, and instantly anybody who's around who doesn't know each other, regardless of their spiritual beliefs, are all compelled to applaud the beauty of nature. But the sun sets, and the evening comes, and it all fades to darkness. See, we were made for this transcendence. There's something that gets woken up in us. But then there's also this part where we're just more thirsty. We're just more hungry. What is the kingdom of heaven? It's now. It's shalom. It's flourishing. Shalom is the Hebrew word that's often translated as peace. right? And oftentimes, we just have a one-dimensional view of peace. What do we want? We want peace in Ukraine. What, we want peace in our homes. What we, what we mean is we want no more conflicts. That's good. Shalom is nothing less than the absence of conflicts, but it's a whole lot more. The Hebrew idea of shalom is to be in right relationship with the God that created you, right relationship with yourself, to be comfortable in your own skin, stand on your own two feet, look the world in the eyes, and be unafraid. Right relationship with others, where there's no more scapegoating, no more blame shifting, no more comparing others at their worst to yourself when you're at your best. Right relationship. Right relationship to the created order. A created order in which we as humanity don't squeeze the life out of natural resources so that nobody has anything 50 years from now. Right relationship in every way. That's the kingdom of heaven. That kingdom come, that will be right relationship in society in terms of justice. When, uh, one thinker, speaker, Cornell West, I heard him say in person, justice is what love looks like in public. Making sure that everybody has enough access. The kingdom of heaven. It affects us all in every way. That's the kingdom of heaven. Do you, are you starting to get a vision of what this invites you to? All right, why do you need it? first of all, you long for it, deep in your bones. The longing for that sort of thriving, of humming existence drives all sorts of behaviors in our lives. But like a thirsty person filling themselves with salt water, you're only more thirsty. But you long for it. I would make the case we long for it from the moment we're born. I remember when Benjamin was born, I went to as many birthing classes or online tutorials as I could. I mean, this was our first child being born, and I did not want to mess it up. I've got a role to play in this whole thing. I told myself, not really. And I uh, learned this concept called 511. I'm not going to geek you out on it too much, but basically, you know, to go to the hospital when all these certain conditions have occurred. Great. So I'm timing contractions, and I'm, you know, I have a little ledger that I'm writing things down in. Got Florence to the hospital. The doctor said, who has been timing the contractions, who made the decision to come to the hospital? I said, I did. The doctor said, well, high five, sir, you did it perfectly, you nailed it, this is great. So many people come way too early for their first child and all that. So I'm just champion of timing, you know, contractions, great. I'm a one-trick pony, but it's a great trick. So second child comes along, Levi, a few years later. I'm like, well, I got this, I know how to do it, Five, one, one. one Great, so I'm doing it at home, timing everything, writing it down. But what they didn't tell me is the second child comes a lot faster than the first child. Five one one only applies to the first child. So if you get nothing else out of this sermon, if you're in that situation, this could really be important. Well, we're at home and Florence gives me this look. And I, I go, oh, I haven't seen that look on my wife's face since she was pushing Benjamin out last time. We need to get to the hospital. So I get her in the car, drive through the hospital. We're in San Francisco. It was one of those. We pull up in front of the emergency department. The doctors heard her voice. We'll just say, and came out with a wheelchair. And it was like in the movies where the doctors clearing the hallways. Special key goes in the elevator that brings it straight to you and cuts everybody else off. Levi was born 17 minutes later. 17 minutes later. Um, I've seen a lot of births, actually. I mean, three-plus, you know, our church in San Francisco started a hospital in South Sudan. And so I went there, and I was in the neonatal ward where these women's lives are being saved, babies' lives are being saved. And they say, Pastor Matt, do you want to come in and watch a C-section? I said, of course I do. So I went in there. I'd only been in the country for two hours, and I'm already in the operating room watching the C-section. And I could, yeah, there's too many details there. Anyway, the baby came out healthy. They actually saved the baby's life in that moment what all three of those three births had in common, in every birth that I've witnessed. The baby goes from warm, secure mama's womb to cold, bright, uncomfortable, planet Earth atmosphere. The baby comes out of the womb in a traumatic moment with fists clenched tight. It's one of our first human instincts is to protect ourselves and to get ours and to look out for number one. It becomes so insidious that in the most wealthy country in the history of the world, deep down we operate on a psyche of zero sum game that if you have more success, it means there's not enough for me. If you have access to something, it means I don't get access to it. In the wealthiest land the planet's ever seen. The clenched fist syndrome. We long for flourishing, but we go about it in all sorts of ways that break ourselves down. We, you know, we exhaust ourselves in our careers. Your career will never die for you, but your career will demand that you give your life for it if you let it. So Jesus comes to you and asks a diagnostic question. What do you want? Deep down, what do you long for? We have all sorts of archetypes and temperaments and personalities. Maybe you long to be right. You just need to be right. Get the world right. Or you long to be needed. Or you long to achieve and be recognized, successful. These are not bad things, by the way but if you let them drive you, they will drive you into the ground. If you long to be unique or creative, you spend a lot of time feeling like nobody really gets you. You long to be smart. You long to be the smartest person in the room. I love friends that are like that. And I always say, how many tables do you sit around just thinking how stupid everybody is? And they're like, yeah, all the time. And I go, are you doing it right now to me? Like, no, like, you could tell me. I mean, I could handle it, but yeah. Are you long to be safe? Are you set up a lot of your life, a lot of your schedule, a lot of your energy around escaping pain or moving toward pleasure? Are you long to be powerful? They're not going to control you, whoever they might be. You are the master of your own destiny, the captain of your own fate. Or maybe you just long to get to have peace to keep the harmony in a world that seems so chaotic. See, you're made for it. These are all good things. So how do you get it? Jesus says, here's the key. You will access this life when you recognize that you are poor in spirit. How counterintuitive is that? It's not you will access this life when you have a master's degree from an Ivy League institution. You will access this life when your cryptocurrency finally goes beyond $90,000, whatever the thing is. You will access this life when you have nothing and you recognize it, finally. And notice he doesn't say when you're poor. Okay, elsewhere Jesus talks a lot about people who are poor. Obviously, major theme, major concern. But he says when you're poor in spirit. What does that mean? That means to be spiritually bankrupt. You know, so many of us operate, even if we don't articulate it this way, we operate in some sort of an economic spiritual system. I hope that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Or I'm a pretty good person, so I'm sure that God's going to accept me. I mean, if he accepts Matt Nault, the pastor of a new church, he's got to accept me. You know, that's, that's spiritual bartering. Spiritual bankruptcy is when you say, I don't have as many good deeds as I thought I did. And when I'm really honest, even the good stuff I did, I often did it for selfish reasons. I mean, I was generous, but I made sure people saw me being generous. And I was disciplined, but I made sure that it was really me being disciplined so I got the things that I wanted to get. So really, I don't have any cash in this game at all. I'm going to need some mercy here. I'm gonna need a gift. And that's when Jesus says, you are in a great spot right now because all I have is mercy. All I have is a gift. All I have is grace. And the only thing stopping you from receiving it is admitting that you need it. So blessed are you when you're poor in spirit because you have access to the kingdom of heaven. There's a place in the Gospels where there are, Jesus tells this parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee and the tax collector are archetypes in that culture. The Pharisee was the, relig- the religious do-gooder, know-it-all, look down on people who do wrong, organized religion, possibly at its worst. It was the Pharisees who came after Jesus and sent him toward the crucifixion. So, that, yeah, they got that going for them. And the Pharisee is is in the temple and the tax collector comes in. The tax collector is a character archetype of a sellout. I mean, this is a Jewish person who is collecting money from their Jewish brothers and sisters for the Roman Empire that's crushing everybody, total sellouts. So the religious people who would hear a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector, you kind of like the Pharisee, you go, well, that's probably a holy person. And the tax collector it's like, boo, hiss, terrible person. And the story goes like this. The two go into the temple and they begin praying and the Pharisee sees the tax collector and says, gracious God, thank you so much that I am not like the tax collector. Thank you so much that I'm not this terrible person that does all these bad things. And Jesus says, the tax collector came to God with humility and said, God, I am so sorry for the things that I've done. I don't see any reason why you should accept me except for the fact that you are good. Jesus says, on that day, the tax collector was justified before God more than the religious person. Why? Because he was spiritually bankrupt. All you need is nothing. So instead of that closed response of me first, the invitation of the gospel is to actually live with open hands. To receive the gifts of grace that God wants to give you and than to reciprocate and radiate them outward. And as we say all the time, don't try this without the gospel. Why does any of this matter? What is the detonator that activates all of the energy of the kingdom of heaven? It is the king himself. The kingdom of heaven is not a place. I can't send you a pin on Google Maps. The kingdom of heaven is any place where the true king is in control and reigns. So when you look at Jesus, you see a king unlike any other who shows us what it means to be poor in spirit, who was the last person in all creation to be poor in spirit. Talk about wealthy in spirit, connected to the Holy Spirit, who had all power and authority and equality with God the Father and did not see all that power as something to be exploited, but emptied himself humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. And there you see the king wearing not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. There you see the king whose throne is a cross and an empty tomb. There you see a king who doesn't demand that you give your life until you're squeezed, but a king who gives his life on your behalf. And it's there that you have access to the kingdom of heaven that begins right now. So paradoxically, as you open your hands, it makes you this overflowing person, this non-anxious presence, a spiritual giant that doesn't take all the air out of the room, that people will naturally gravitate towards. Friends, this is the invitation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are allergic to the word poor. We run from it. And so in all of our weakness and all of our struggles, we just cover things up. There's this default drive of closed hands. Maybe even as we pray right now, we'll just clench our fists up for a second just so we can feel that default drive. But we pray that you would break through the true king of the kingdom of heaven, that you would open up our hands as we open our hands now to receive the gifts that you have for us and to give them your grace, with your joy, with your resilience. And so we simply ask that by your power and with your spirit, you would bless us in order that we might be a blessing to others. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.